Sales Paradise Episode 7. Today we'll learn a lot more about behind the scenes of like predictable prospecting and, and how all of these leads come about. Again, whether it's something that we're doing ourselves or whether there's another team that's doing it and handing it off to us. It's really important information and it also helps us rethink kind of the way we're doing things now. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. <laughs> On today's episode, we have Mary Lou Tyler. Mary Lou is a successful trainer and consultant to Fortune 1000 companies, and she's the best-selling co-author of two different books, Predictable Revenue and Predictable Prospecting. Mary Lou, thank you for joining us here in Paradise. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mary Lou, today I'm in the mood to just jump right into a question uh, where we basically ask you, what is your worst sales call, your sales experience? Uh, something that you really wanted desperately to forget, but we want you to bring that back up and tell us, and we won't mention anyone else, so um, it'll just be between us and you. Well, at the time I wanted to forget, but now I it's a great story because it just shows the conviction we have as salespeople when we know a customer, our future customer is making a mistake when they buy the competitor's product. I was sitting in a New York telephone uh, sales office. Uh, the guy was, we were putting in a large call center. I think it was a thousand seats for them. And he told me he had made the decision to go with a competitor. And I was not having it. I just sat there and said, no, you are making a grave mistake. And so we got into this sort of argument back and forth. Finally, he just picked me up physically. No way. And put me outside of his office and shut the door. I love it. <laughs> and it was like, oh, all right. You didn't plan on that. <laughs> so that was, that was my worst day of my life. But what happened was they didn't end up buying from that competitor they didn't buy from us either, but they didn't do anything. They just waited because I think I said enough to him where we thought, all right, she wouldn't be sitting here putting her life on the line in my office. Uh, but yeah, that was probably the worst experience of my life to be actually physically carried out of an office and placed outside with the door shut behind you. So was that the moment that you said, hey, you know, I think I may be so good at this that I'm going to teach others? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. That was uh, that was, and it was New York Telephone, so it was a big account, and uh, it wasn't my most stellar moment. That's for sure. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, I had read that you actually started out in engineering. So, what attracted you to get into sales? Well, it it un unfortunately it wasn't attraction. <laughs> it was a matter of survival that got me into sales. I was working in a company where we were selling disruptive technology. We were moving from an analog space to try to get people to use digital telephones is what this was all about. And we were, it was a very complex sale and it was also a very technical sale. So I came to the office one day, I was helping out in pre-sales as a systems engineer because we had to configure these large systems uh, in going into multi-tenant buildings, et cetera. Anyway, I came in, my boss sat me down. He says, today is your lucky day, Mary Lou. And I said, what is going on? He said, look, we had to let all the salespeople go. They don't know how to sell this product. It's, not, it's too technical for them. So we're now putting all the systems engineers into sales. 
So every single engineer went in to sales. Wow. Everybody in my group went in because we were all pre-sales support. And so we had a little bit of the shtick down in terms of client facing. You know, we knew how to not talk above their heads and be rude and tell them they're wrong. You know, we were, <laughs> we were, we were pretty good listeners and we could translate very quickly as to what they were saying into what the technical specs for the product were. We could talk to the programming staff to say, look, this feature set from this particular phone system needs to be, you know, somehow replicated in the digital environment so that they can continue to do, use the phones. Cause you know, an analog, splicing and dicing you could make it do a lot of different things and digital was ones and zeros so it was a little bit more difficult to get some of the functions and features of the old analog systems into a digital world do you feel there's an advantage to coming from the technical side of things from pretty much any industry you know that's a very good question and i for me it works because first and foremost i am an engineer so by definition I'm always looking at trying to solve complex problems. And so from a problem-solving perspective, I'm not going to make a suggestion until I've weighed in on all the probables or as many as possible so that I have a level of confidence that what I recommend is going to be the best thing for the client. So in that sense, it's great for sales because we sit back and listen. We poke a lot more. We challenge a lot more. We get them to think about, well, what about this? You know, before we just say, hey, sign on the dotted line. You know, we're definitely not that kind of psyche. And because of that, I think we are really good at selling. If we really want to be able to get out there and convince people delightfully why they should change, why now, and why us, we're in a good position to do that. Yeah, one of the important points is that since you came from the same engineering background of the people you were calling on, you guys were just focused on bringing value. But now that you're actually training different companies uh, and looking back, what do you think you were missing out on that you didn't even know about then? Well, you know, I there is a piece that I have the school of hard knocks uh, had to learn. And that is the behavioral side, what I call the behavioral side. And I remember my dear friend who worked with me back when we were in our early 30s used to look at me and say, Mary Lou, you can, you can catch more bees with honey. And so what she meant by that was I didn't necessarily take the time to read the behavior of the person I'm sitting across from to see where they were emotionally or in their head or behaviorally, I would just forge right in with, okay, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to the matter at hand. So over the years, I've really learned to finesse that. And I think that that coming out of engineering school, you're not really taught a lot of sociology, psychology, unless you take those courses. But the reps that I love and the, the guys that I think are great reps who may not be technical have that wired. They have that whole side of the right brain creative process side really figured out so that the technical, they could bring someone along and have them talk about the technical side, but they're looking at the person, you know, the head, hand, heart of the person to figure out where they are in their head relative to making that sale. Well, we talked about making the sale, but now let's talk about the actual prospecting. Um, tell me about your book, uh, Predictable Prospecting. Yeah. When I say making the sale, for me, it's getting to opportunity. I only focus on top of funnel. So I'm, if you look at the pipeline positionally, like if we're on a freeway together, I get you on that freeway. So I start those first conversations 
and then I get it to a point where it's a where it's a viable opportunity. You're going to actually, you know, put your stake in the sand, saying, "Okay, this is a real deal, and I like my my guys to have a 40% probability that it's a really good deal. It's going to close." I stop there, though. Getting to close is not an area of my expertise. But when I say sale, I mean selling the next conversation, selling the next meeting selling the opportunity and selling that initial conversation. Those are the areas that I specialize in, and that's what predictable prospecting is all about. I like that. A lot of the training that we've heard of or participated in through the years, you know, talks about advancing the sell. But like you said, you've broken it down to where every single step is a success. Uh, because, you know, even if it's a different department, you know, that's working on it, or or maybe... It's an outsider inside rep that's taking it from, you know, the the top of the funnel all the way down to the close. Mm -hmm. Still, each step is a success. Right, right. And the other thing that you hit on is that the steps that I talk about are the steps that are meaningful in nature that allow you to then create what I call a waterfall or a predictable way of getting from step to step. And then within the step itself allows you to advance this, that sale like you talked about. But we're all about saying, okay, what are these intelligence stations looking like? So it's like a true assembly line to the stages. And then what is the meticulous material that we need to have at each stage, whether it be email, whether it be direct mail, whether it be voice, voicemail, the voice conversation itself, the sales conversation canvas, whatever you, however you want to describe it. All those points are relevant and measurable, and we do our best to optimize each and every one of them so that we push out a predictable number of opportunities every month, every week, whatever it is that you're looking for. Some some of my clients are 18 months. It's a long sale cycle, but you know that's the goal, is to make it so that the formula has a 95% confidence rate that whatever I pour into the top, X, X Y is going to come out the bottom for opportunity. So explain to us why actually being predictable or having predictable numbers is necessary. You know, I like to think of leads coming into top of the funnel as coming from three different streams. One is the outreach channel, which is what I specialize in, which is predictable. <clears throat> one is inbound. And then the last one is referral. So with all those three coming in, really the only one we can count on as being predictable is the targeted outreach why? Because we are controlling the accounts that we want to speak with, the people within those accounts we want to talk to, and we've done a lot of planning and assessment up front to only talk to those accounts who have a high probability of closing, high lifetime value with high revenue. So because we are choosing, we control that stream, by definition, if we know what we're doing in the planning and assessment side, those accounts are going to be more predictable for us to close. Oh, man, there are so many jobs that I would have loved to have had the type of leads you're talking about. Well, so in Chapter 6, you use uh, the terms lead generation, seeds, nets, and spears. Um, expand on that a little bit. That's the old predictable revenue uh, terminology. But seeds are the actual leads where marketing is helping us or we're casting a wide net out there. And we're catching the small fish and the whales as well. So we, it's not a predictable channel because we're looking at a vast one-to-many audience and we're pulling in people who are raising his hand but not necessarily a good fit for us. The 
that's the basically the net side of it. The seed side of it is the referrals. So we're planting the seed to get our partners or our clients to refer business to us. That again is not predictable because we can't we can't control when a client or when a partner is going to be referring. We can definitely get to a point where we're in a good rhythm, but I wouldn't want to count on that for my forecast. And then the spears are is the outreach channel. It's the it's the channel that we control. We pick the accounts we want to go after. We go through a very selective process to get the right accounts into the funnel at top. And then we craft an engaging and a persuasive sales canvas that consists of multiple conversations to get them to move through that funnel at a high velocity as possible, but with more predictability. So we're adding in all the bells and whistles for us to be able to track the conversion rates on everything that we do. Every touch we make that's meaningful in nature, we've set it up before we turn the switch on in order to be able to track that and optimize it as we move along, as long as the number of records we're pushing through are statistically relevant. So those three are the main three streams that we work on as business developers. The mix of those is where people might be getting frustrated because if you don't do that assessment and figure out what your mix is, like what's your, what's your golden ratio? Is it 40% outbound? Is it 40% inbound and 20% referral? Or is it some other mix? You have to know that in order to be able to push through that pipeline, the relevant number of records with the right number of accounts in order to consistently make your goals. So when you're out there working with different sales teams, uh, let's say you come across a sales rep that's not hitting the mark, how do you assess or how do you even recommend for them to know whether that sales rep's either not a, a good fit or whether they just need additional training? It could be a lot of different things. I have a systematic way that I look at it. Again, this is the engineering in mind, right? I don't look at the surface that the rep is a crappy rep and they and not good in sales. I look to see okay, here's the checkpoints along the way that we should be getting some predictability. So I look at the entire pipeline. I sit with them to watch their workflow. I look at the number of accounts that they're working on concurrently. And nine times out of 10, it's not their fault. It's the process is broken. It's the fact that we haven't, or the company hasn't put together the right waterfall for the rep. And I can also tell when people game the system because I know what to look for to see if they're going to be making the number of dials, like say that's a metric, which I don't like, but that's a metric. They make their hundred dials, but yet they're not pushing anything through. So, you know, I look at things like that right away to see who's gaming, who's sincere. And I look at the process to see if it's broken and nine times out of 10, it is. Yep. There's a lot of sales roles that basically, you know, handle everything. They have to run it like it's their own business. So they're kind of setting up their own process. You're absolutely right. In fact, when I did a recent survey of my audience of people who follow me, 48% of my people do all roles in sales. That's a big number considering I wrote, you know, there are two books with my name on it that talk about separating the roles. I still have 48% of the people who like to follow me who are doing all roles. Um, And the other funny thing about this whole process, which is fabulous and beautiful, is that it works for business to consumer because I have a lot of real estate companies who come to me because they understand 
the beauty of a process. And it doesn't matter if the end user is a consumer or if the end user is sitting inside of a company, it's still people. And you're still one-to-one talking to them at some point in time. So yes, you're absolutely right. If you are a direct sales, if you're doing all roles, the difference is your workflow cannot be as consistent as an inside sales rep. So we may pick maybe pick two days a week to prospect, but we have to do it consistently. That's the difference instead of five. So yes, there is way there are ways to take this framework, chunk it down into the workflow that works for you. But the name of the game is consistency, consistency and habit. Those are the two things at my side of the funnel that you must possess in order to succeed. Yeah, it wasn't until later in my career that I realized that you could actually have consistency, but also have flexibility built in. You're just consistent in the way the process is set up. Exactly. Like I do all roles. I'm, I'm an army of one over here. So I prospect on Tuesdays and Fridays and that's it. Tuesday afternoons and Friday afternoons. Because Why? Because I found that those are better days for me reaching my people, the people I want to do business with. And so for sure, I had block out my time. And that's another thing. Block time is really important. So I block out my time on Tuesdays and Fridays and I single task whatever it is I'm doing. So lead gen, I would be doing all of my writing. I would be doing all of my conversing in a prospecting mode. And I do one task at a time. When I finish the amount that I wanted to do, I then take a five-minute break, and then I go on to the next task. That's another thing I see going wildly wrong (laughs) in companies now is that we are just bombarded with the phone and, you know, email and social and our computer beeps at us. And I'm telling you, we need to single task in order to be successful. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the studies have been out for quite a while, but I've really been hearing a lot about the studies and the benefits of single tasking recently. I've actually been trying to get my kids to think that way and just basically <laughs> give me one task at a time. There, exactly. And there is, that's another sociology kind of thing. I mean, that's something that it's a behavioral thing that I completely missed that education because I used to multitask all the time. But boy, I realized when I started just doing things in blocks of time, not only was I more productive, but I was, I had more energy because I wasn't trying to keep in my head all the different things I'm supposed to do. I just had that single task and I knew exactly what I was to do in that time frame. It's, it's stress relieving, believe me. Yeah. That's the great thing about technology now is that you can actually have it set to help you be in a certain frame of mind and then have it remind you at a particular point in time, you know, as far as when it's time to go to the next block of things to do or what to focus on. Yes, yes. Even if you wear those watches when I'm sitting at my desk, it'll tell me when I've been sitting too long, you know, so get up and move around. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best thing ever. So yes, um, there was a technique that I read about, I'm sure you know about the Pomodoro technique where you do 25 minutes on, five minutes off. That's perfect for prospecting. Perfect. 25 minutes prospecting, five minutes off. And then you decide based on your workflow and based on your waterfall, whether that's four 25 minute sessions, one, two, whatever it is, but just be consistent with it. Yeah, I've really heard that that can boost efficiency quite a bit. Now, we are at the segment of the show that I call the Last Call Lightning Round. And the first question is, tell me about some piece of technology or app 
that you just have fallen in love with and want to share? I like follow-through apps. So what I mean by that is I know it takes a lot of touches to reach my desired contact. And it's impossible for me to spin all those plates and figure out, did I talk to him three days ago? What did I send him an email? Did I send him that direct mail postcard? So I like uh, applications that you can put the entire sales conversation canvas in, like the playlist. And once I put my group together, they all get the first touch and then they're all filed to come up for the next touch. And I don't have to think about it. So I love that software. And there are multiple brands on the market for that. But that automated way of continuing to follow up so you're consistent. Again, the name of the game is consistency. That kind of software I could not live without now. Excellent. Now tell me, do you have a favorite quote? Yes. I put it on all my slides, so that's an easy one <laughs> when I'm doing my speeches. Uh, it's Dwayne the Rock, of course, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> it's and uh, it, here it is. It's success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Consistent hard work leads to success. Greatness will come. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay, tell me what a typical morning looks like for Mary Lou. Do you have any type of morning routine? Every day before I get out of bed, I think about or talk to or I'm not sure if I talk to them, but I am grateful for five people, five things, whatever it is. Every morning before I get out of bed, I tell them how grateful I am. So it's a gratitude thing. Then I get out of bed and I am ready to start my day. So it's always about being grateful and being humble and thanking the people along the way who've just made my life just so enjoyable. Yeah, gratitude definitely seems to make the day go much better. Yes, it does. Well, we're now at the point where you can give us a takeaway message for all the listeners. The, the one thing I want them to remember is to really get into this concept of habit. Think about, even if it's what, what I call habit stacking, you know, just do one thing additional. So if you're at the coffee machine, you know, just rehearse your opener. Every time you go to the coffee machine, rehearse your opener. Or every time you get a drink of water, rehearse your opener. And if you start doing things like that, it's going to become second nature to you. And it's not a lot out of your day to just tack on or stack on a little tiny habit like that to whatever routine you're already doing. Once you do that, you're going to be more confident on the phone. You're going to get more appointments and ultimately more opportunities and then send those guys down to close. Excellent way to close the show. Well, tell us now, how do people get in touch with you? MaryLouTyler.com. So that's my name. And then also on LinkedIn, just look for Mary Lou Tyler. I'm pretty much on there too. So I, have, I do blog posts. I try to get uh, my, I have a podcast as well. And what's the name of it? It's called Predictable Prospecting. <laughs> it's original. Now that's consistent. <laughs> well, Mary Lou Tyler, thank you so much for joining us here on Sales Paradise. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>